right now, I believe that the goal is to make crypto and blockchain as useful, simple, and inclusive as possible so that every single African is able to use this technology for its full potential. That's Yele Badamosi, the co-founder and CEO of Bundle, the social payments app for cash and crypto in Nigeria, and also a founding partner of the pre-seed venture fund, Microtraction. I think Microsoft were the ones that made this phrase popular in terms of saying a computer in every home. I like to say a crypto wallet in every African smartphone. In this episode, Yele and I talk use cases beyond just trading and speculation. When we did a bottom-up calculation and a couple of other research papers that we read, out of 1.2 billion people, only 1.4 million people use crypto today. Our goal really is about saying through experimentation and innovation, how do we figure out sort of like that killer use case that takes crypto from, you know, a total user base of 1.4 million to 10, 20, 30, 40 million Africans. Throughout this series of episodes, we're exploring the entrepreneurs and startups digitizing informal and fragmented industries on the continent. And despite the technological underpinnings of cryptocurrency as a whole, many of the buying and selling processes and use cases of crypto today are still quite informal and fragmented. In this episode, we hear from Yelly about the work Bundle is doing to build products and use cases that make crypto more accessible, affordable, and that bring it into the mainstream. A few housekeeping items before we start. First, it's worth mentioning that this episode was recorded in January 2021, before the Central Bank of Nigeria cracked down on crypto exchanges. The landscape has changed a bit since Yele and I recorded this interview, but you'll hear Yele talk a bit later about governance, and those comments still apply in the context of the CBN's recent actions. Also, just a heads up that this episode gets a bit jargony. So we added a crypto glossary and linked to other resources in the show notes. This episode, and in fact all of our podcast episodes, contain interactive transcripts, which you can view and reference at theflip.africa slash podcast. And finally, we'd like to thank MFS Africa for their sponsorship of this series of episodes. While a core feature of crypto is its interoperability across markets and currencies, legacy financial and mobile money institutions, maybe not so much. And MFS Africa's API hub makes traditional digital payments interoperable across nearly 30 African countries and over 200 million mobile wallets. Later in the show, Yelly and I talk about cross-border payments as a key use case for crypto. But at present, it's still a less accessible option for many making international money transfers into the continent. And beyond just sending money, there are more nuanced opportunities and use cases on the receiver side of international money transfers. As those building in crypto are working on extensibility, so too is that a focus for those in the traditional money transfer space, like Benjamin Fernandez. He's the founder and CEO of Nala a fintech building a new product to send money from the UK to East Africa. We interview our users in the UK and a lot of them tell us, oh yeah, the main thing I'm trying to pay for is just health bills, if I could pay for them directly, or I try to pay for school fees, if I could pay for them directly, that would be really interesting. A lot of people say like, oh yeah, I tr- quote unquote, trust my family, but they would rather just pay their school directly versus trust somebody else that they're going to use it for school fees, but then they end up using it for sports betting or something else. And so we see that pattern evolving even more. And it always gets me curious, like, could you have somebody in the UK pay for their parents' DSTV bill in Nairobi? Could you have somebody pay for the electricity bill for their cousin in Eldoret in Kenya? We're initially just going to start with one-way transfer. But I think there's so much more that you could create utility on for international money transfer that's not been solved today. And I'm really excited to see what that looks like over the next five to 10 years. Later in the show, we'll hear a bit more from Benjamin on the challenges and opportunities in the international money transfer space, especially as it relates to cost. Now, without any further ado, here's Bundles Yele Badamosi. You're listening to The Flip, 
a podcast exploring more contextually relevant stories from entrepreneurs around Africa. I'd love for you to just riff a little bit on high level bundle from a business building perspective. I know you've invested heavily in community and you've got like this ridiculously active telegram group. Um, (laughs) I'm not kidding. I have like 150,000 unread messages in that. I'll send you a screenshot. But I think what what I'd like to talk about a little bit and focus on is also just the like consumer education. And in the context of like, we're here on the African continent, and it's still largely a cash-based economy. And even just getting people to move from cash to mobile money is a hard enough value proposition in, in many cases. And so then getting people to move from, you know, traditional fiat currencies to crypto is, I'd have to imagine, just a, another, uh, you know, order of magnitude difficult value proposition. So obviously there's a lot of crypto fundamentalists and people that really understand and appreciate all the use cases and the speculative opportunities. But how do you go about in the same way that there's this uphill educational battle for getting merchants, for example, to use M-Pesa? How do you then also likewise get the continent to go one step further, which is to say like, yeah, and actually we're going to use this decentralized currency? So I think there are really two or three overlapping circles, maybe four. With Bundle, we are kind of like touching on each of these circles, but we are definitely not there yet. So the first circle is product, right? And I'll kind of touch on all those things. So product, education, community, and the last one would probably be, let me use the word like, ease of use. So education is kind of like obvious. And what what we mean by that is for a lot of people to really begin to understand crypto, you have to be educated for, you know, for, for it. And for a lot of us, like we take for granted the amount of education needed for truly disruptive things. So when flying was invented and commercial flight was invented, so much went into explaining the how flying works works and like the fact that it's not as risky as, as as it might seem. The same thing is true for computers. The same thing is true for microwaves. We take all these things for granted because we are now just used to them. For us at Bundle, we keep thinking and saying, okay, how do we create content or how do we educate more people about, about crypto? I think when you get educated and you understand kind of like how it works, and the use case or, or, or why it exists, then there's a higher chance of you now converting to like a, a, a truly active user. The second thing that the other kind of like concentric circle is the product itself. People want utility. They want usefulness. And today, majority of the use cases are not so applicable to everyone. And we have to figure out what that looks like. So it's like with the personal computers, they had been around for you know a very long time, but actually what made the PC take off was the web browser. The web browser and the internet made the PC a lot more, you know, blew up the size of 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 of, of the markets, right? Before before then, nobody was really buying pieces in their house. You know, maybe there were a couple of games that you could play, but there wasn't like a lot of use cases that people really wanted that made them say, oh, I'm going to go out to get a personal computer at home. But when the early version of the internet, where you had like this, you know, multiplayer games, 
messaging and kind of like message boards and the eventual kind of internet with 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 a um, Netscape that's what made it really really grow so for us we we within the as builders in crypto have to figure out what is that use case that takes crypto mainstream and we are still figuring that our bundle but we're we're fortunate that we have a profitable business and and we have the funds to kind of you know figure this out the next thing is, in my opinion, abstracting ease of use or abstracting the layers of complexity. I, I use the analogy of a car. Almost everybody gets it, can get into a car and say, okay, this car will get me from A to B. But a smaller subset of every passenger or anyone that can be a passenger are drivers, right? So they know how to drive a car. Then a smaller subset of drivers know how to repair a car. And then an even smaller subset can build and can design and build a car. So, you know, Right now, it sometimes feels as if, like with crypto, we're trying to make everybody builders and 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 kind of creators of of cars, or maybe someone that repairs cars. And understanding the intricate detail and complexity about how this works, when for most people, they just care about does this solve my problem and can I use it really easily? You know, so with bundle, we've we've tried to do a good job of abstracting away the complexities of 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 of, of crypto, and then the final the final thing is community itself. Now, community can you mention like you know the Telegram group that we have, and that's not like just one one aspect of the way we think about community. But community can be people that you know, your immediate family and friends who can help you get onboarded um, and get started with crypto. And community can be people that just have mutual and shared interest with each other. And so that Telegram group of 8,000 plus people is essentially a community of people who are interested in crypto, want to learn and figure out how to use crypto and trade and, 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 and make money. I think like those, those concentric circles are, are, are what is really important in, 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 in driving home, the adoption and, and, and use cases and growth for, for crypto across Africa Definitely. and the world globally. Maybe this is common knowledge by now, but the case for crypto, the case for Bitcoin, how you got into the space, why it's a more sort of acute issue in a place like Nigeria with Naira devaluation. Can, you, can, you, can we just talk about that from a high level before we get into bundles specifically? Yeah. So I think I would probably first kind of start with how I got into crypto and bitcoin and i think like most people i got drawn in by the volatility right so this was 2017 you know a bunch of the prices were going up and i noticed around that time that a bunch of investors that i followed on twitter were all talking about bitcoin and crypto and blockchain and whilst i started trading crypto um, i remember a tweet from naval was this tweet storm about how it was a very high-level tweet storm about the role that blockchains can play in the world in terms of coordination of individuals and self-sovereignty. And that really drew me in. That drew me in because I always say that my personal mission is about how do we accelerate Africa's transition to a sustainable and developed economy. And right now, you can't really do that without governance. And so the idea that you could apply technology to governance was pretty interesting for me. So that was kind of like what really brought me into 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 the space. I became really really drawn in, and I was really interested in this idea of crypto being fintech 
So at this point, I had made a bunch of investments into you know, a variety of fintech companies like Wallets Africa, CarryWise, and even crypto companies like, 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 like Bycoins. And it was really interesting to, to begin to view crypto as the next evolution of financial services that were much better. And I like to use this analogy of, of kind of telecom networks. So fintech as is, is like 2G or 3G. And crypto itself is the next evolution or the next iteration. And, and that is more of a you know, 4G or even a 5G network. And so the idea of, of, of building financial services that were natively interoperable, that were decentralized, that didn't discriminate based off your geographical location was a really, really powerful thing for me. Actually, when you consider some of the macro factors that you have in Nigeria and other African countries, such as a devaluing currency, lack of investment opportunities in the stock markets, inflation rates being double digit, middle double digits, treasury bills returning, I think over the last three years has dropped down for as high as 17, 18% to now being minus 0.5. And also the lack of kind of US liquidity, right? So which kind of impacts the exchange rates between Naira and, and, and the US dollar. So the idea of crypto being this alternative settlement currency or alternative to USD for cross-border transactions, as well as, as an investment asset class that has outperformed the stock market and you didn't need to be in the US or Europe or any other developed economy to get access to that asset class. All you needed was just your smartphone and an internet connection. That was an extremely powerful idea. So right now, I believe that the goal is to make crypto and blockchain as useful, simple, and inclusive as possible so that every single African is able to use this technology for its full, full potential. So you know, I think Microsoft were the ones that made this phrase popular in terms of saying a computer in every home. I like to say a crypto wallet in every African smartphone. You know, that is like our vision and our goal with the work we're trying to do with Bundle. Yeah, I like that. And it's interesting, you mentioned Bycoins just before, which is a microtraction portfolio company. And so I'd love to then fast forward a little bit to Bundle's origins and the business and the use case, why it got started. And I also think it's just interesting in the context of your work at microtraction that there's you know, buy coins in exchange and just being able to formalize the acquisition and on-ramping into crypto. And maybe you can also talk a little bit about peer-to-peer exchanges. I read an article in Quartz that was saying that hundreds of millions of dollars, I believe as much as that is, is traded via WhatsApp and other informal peer-to-peer networks. So I'd love for you to talk about Bundle like in that context, especially just to your point before, like just making it easier for Africans to hold crypto in their wallets. Yeah. So when I made my investment into Bycoins, at the time, it was actually quite difficult for anyone to get started with crypto. Interestingly enough, crypto itself is a very kind of peer-to-peer decentralized network. And similar to what you have in terms of the FX markets, where you have like informal or peer-to-peer exchanges between the USD and Naira or like GPP, and Naira, and this is done over like WhatsApp, WhatsApp groups, Telegram groups, you know, really informal 
methods of exchange where trust is created because of a faith in an administrator, that was kind of like what was the status quo. So you had the Telegram, WhatsApp groups on one hand, and they also had kind of like this peer-to-peer Bitcoin or crypto marketplaces, which reminded me of, of a Craigslist, right? So, you know, like a, Craigslist, a Craigslist for for crypto where users would go and post like the price and it was kind of this very disorganized, but actually quite robust and decentralized way people were, were you know, transacting with crypto. But that exposed people to a lot of scams because you is a peer-to-peer exchange or trade. You need to trust that the counterparty is going to do what they say they're going to do and typically the the resolution periods when something goes wrong can be very long and the process being very painful. So if the thesis for investing in Bitcoins was how do you build a Coinbase for Africa in a manner that makes it very easy for people to 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 buy crypto. And over the next kind of like two, two and a half years, I was fortunate not to join Binance as the director of Binance Labs that led a bunch of investments into African cryptocurrency projects. So invested in Bitsika, which was all sort of very easy to use crypto, crypto wallet, invested in Zend and Yellowcard as well. In fact, Yellowcard is pretty cool because they actually allowed people to go from cash into crypto. So you could go to like a mobile agent, go to a shop or a store, give them physical cash and they will give you Bitcoin, which I thought was pretty interesting. But, you know, there's a huge opportunity to kind of formalize this this kind of informal way that individuals on the continent have been transacting with crypto. So actually, apart from maybe Nigeria, Kenya, Ghana, and a few other African countries, the way people actually transact with crypto today is still primarily this informal peer-to-peer WhatsApp trading WhatsApp or Telegram trade, you know, any of the peer-to-peer kind of marketplaces for crypto. So there's still tremendous opportunity for entrepreneurs across Africa to, 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 to build these products that make it simple for people to on-ramp or, or, or off-ramp. With Bundu specifically, our goal is about building a product that figures out use cases for crypto in a way that has mainstream adoption potential. And what I mean by that is the difference between kind of like us being like a pure exchange play is that we care a lot about the number of users as opposed to our transaction volume. So when I was thinking about the investments I've made and the things that I've done in the space and kind of the data that I had from a variety of exchanges that I that I know, when we did a bottom-up calculation and a couple of other research papers that we read, out of over, over a billion people, 1.2 billion people, only 1.4 million people use crypto today. And that, for me, is a huge problem that needs to be solved for, which is the awareness level for crypto is actually really high. But because people don't have easy ways to acquire and even use cases for it, beyond speculation, then the number of overall users is, is, is still relatively low. And so for Bundle, our goal is to figure out, you know, we don't know the answers, we don't have the answers, but so I like to think of us as a R&D company 
whilst also being a startup. But our goal really is about saying through experimentation and innovation, how do we figure out sort of like that killer use case that takes crypto from a total user base of 1.4 million to 10, 20, 30, 40 million Africans, you know, and that's what drives us every day. Yeah. And, and I, I'd love to get deeper in the sort of segmentation of this conversation, because obviously the primary use case today is speculation and investment, and that's what exchanges can enable you to do. But from a use case perspective, I mean, the bear case is like, who's using any crypto or Bitcoin to buy something, right? Or who's sending money to their friends using Bitcoin instead of using fiat. And it's interesting, as we record this conversation now, just this month, or maybe it was last month, a professional football player in the US is now getting paid in Bitcoin. And I think, didn't Elon tweet something about like, I'm only ever going to get paid in Bitcoin moving forward or something like that. But what are your sort of initial hypotheses around use cases and and how people will get paid in crypto or will utilize crypto for services or micropayments? Or I don't know. I mean, what, what kinds of things are you thinking about today? Yeah. So, I mean, I think like for, for a lot of crypto OGs, they they see cryptocurrency or the initial idea was an alternative means of 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 payments, you know, like a currency that could that could rival cash. Personally, I just see cryptocurrency as a decentralized store, you know, decentralized money. And money has three key utility points. One is a medium of exchange, that is, I'm able to give you this thing and you give me something else in return even if you're not doing a kind of a batter like exchange so i'm not saying oh i have an iphone i'll exchange you for your macbook it's like you have an iphone i'll give you this amount of value that you can then use in the future to buy something else right so that's number one medium exchange number two is a unit of account which is being able to give something value against a relatively stable asset and so from a crypto perspective, it's quite difficult to use crypto as a unit of account, even though you can fulfill that use case because the price changes quite frequently. But I think that that is a function of, that is more of a feature as opposed to a bug. And then the last one is a store of value. And right now, that is sort of like the biggest use case for, for, for crypto for a lot of people. If you, if you gave someone $100 and that person converted theirs to Naira 10 years ago, and I took that $100 and I converted mine to Bitcoin, if you looked at kind of the value in dollars 10 years later, even five years later, or three years later, you would see that Bitcoin outperformed Naira as a store of value and outperformed almost any single asset class that you can be. So I think that Bitcoin and other crypto assets today serve that kind of use case as you know, some alternative currency. Now, in terms of like in Africa, like what are the use cases that we see? And to be honest, is not that different from the rest of the world. The biggest use case in Africa today is from a volume. So I like to divide it into two things. From a volume perspective, I think that it is for cross-border payments. For a lot of people, if you're in an African country, you want to send money out. Um, if you're in a country where there is a lack of liquidity of USD because you know they don't really have a lot of like foreign reserve for of of of, of USD, then it can become very difficult to move in between these currencies. But Bitcoin 
has been able to create kind of decentralized pool of liquidity across various African currencies, which now makes it easy for you to move from NGN or GHS into whatever settlement or, or end state currency that you want to move into. So in a way, for a lot of people in Africa, Bitcoin is fast becoming an alternative, an alternative to USD when it comes to cross-border payments. If you're outside of Africa, you want to move money to Africa, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are actually a lot better, primarily because the exchange rate at which you convert you know, your, your, your Bitcoin to local currency tends to be better than what the traditional kind of transfer-wise or money gram and the likes would do with often minimal fees. So in a way, that is probably one of the biggest use cases for crypto in Africa today. The second one, which a lot of people are familiar with, is as a, an investment asset class. I think the only asset that has outperformed Bitcoin and most cryptocurrencies has been the Tesla stock, right? It had a crazy 2020. But over an extended period of time, you know, talking, let's say, five, six, seven years, nothing has outperformed Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin has had just two down years over the last 10 years. So for a lot of people, especially young people, they actually attracted the volatility because if you were to invest in treasury bills, you would earn single-digit returns, maybe even negative-digit returns on your local fiat, right? So that's Naira or CDs or, or the RAND or whatever you know, currency you're, lo- you're looking at. But in crypto, yes, you have kind of like days when it goes 15% and 20% losses, even though these are not frequent. But you also have days when over an extended period of time, there is a good rally in price. So it ends up being a very good asset class for you to invest in if you are someone that is comfortable with risk and has a long-term mindset. So I think those are kind of like the two big use cases. And then the final one is people who can't get access to dollars but can buy a stable coin with their local fiat are now buying stable coins, crypto assets as an alternative to actually having USD. Plus over the last kind of 18 months, there's been a rise of DeFi which now allows you to generate returns on your on your sort of US crypto crypto USD savings. You know, and these savings kind of range from anywhere from 7% to 40%, depending on what protocol you're looking at. And I think like there's a powerful, you know, utility of 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 crypto that no one really talks about. So yeah, it's pretty exciting, I think. And all of this in the last kind of three to four years. Yeah. Can we can we talk a little bit about DeFi in particular? Earlier in this conversation, you talked about the lack of equity markets or not very strong equity markets in emerging markets in particular, and the way in which a decentralized trading platform, for example, can give access to U.S. investment opportunities, for example, for much cheaper. Is that something that Bundle is also thinking about? Or how do you think about DeFi and tokenization and all of this kind of stuff as an evolution of product and use cases for, for Bundle? So I think DeFi is extremely interesting. There's been true innovation within DeFi. So for Bundle, there are a bunch of ideas that that we have. You know, I remember when I first got into crypto, I was very big on security tokens because obviously as an investor, I remember thinking that I think it's crazy that you can give $15,000 to 200 young entrepreneurs who are trying to, build a startup and that's because no one was going to kind of you know you, you couldn't really raise a fund to to do something like that but you look at the amount of money that has gone into crypto 
and or people that have made wealth from crypto and you wonder if there's an opportunity to connect liquidity providers to types of these types of projects and so bundle recently released a, a token called bxd and some of the future ideas that we have around bxd is actually around making it very easy for 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 entrepreneurs across africa to leverage bxd and the DeFi products that we'll build that will make it easy for them to get access to capital from a global pool and also issue their own tokens as well, especially because we now have a decent amount of users that are also now active. But this is probably like, you know, 12 months plus out. But I think DeFi has shown it's uh, DeFi and actually the DEXs and DEX is a decentralized exchange and, and AMM, so automated market makers. They've shown us a way to incentivize liquidity providers on a global scale, not dissimilar to the way ICOs were able to attract a community of, of financial contributors from across the world towards particular projects. Uniswap, which is probably one of the most successful DEXs in the world, if someone told me 18 months ago that Uniswap would have volumes that would rival or a, a DEX, generally, not Uniswap, any DEX would have volumes that would rival, you know, the 24-hour trading volumes on something like Coinbase and some of the other popular, popular exchanges, I will have been like you were kidding because at the time, most DEXs had maybe like a percent or two or maximum 5% of what centralized exchanges were doing. And that was because of the innovation around how we're able to build a protocol that incentivizes third parties to provide liquidity and that drew people to now um, trade uh, um, decentralized exchanges. That in itself is probably the single most innovative primitive for crypto in the last 12 months. Just one, one question maybe for, for clarification. You mentioned before decentralized exchanges versus like Coinbase and the benefit for liquidity providers, but is the primary use case for just your average speculator also that it's just cheaper or what's the what's the sort of reason why they would they would use a decentralized exchange versus coinbase for example i think it's two things right so one is that with defi one of the big innovations for something at, at binance and, and i'm not speaking on behalf of binance but i think one of the things that made binance quite successful was that they had more assets listed than something like Coinbase, who were very slow at listing at the time. So with decentralized exchanges, the big the big innovation for a lot of them is that no one controls what gets listed. Now, that's a good and a bad thing. That's a good thing because it means any project has the potential to be able to raise capital to build out some kind of innovation. But it's also a bad thing because there's no way to verify whether something is a scam or if the if the if there, there will be any kind of product being delivered and all that kind of stuff. So I think for a lot of people, a lot of people are drawn to the idea of just a decentralized way of exchanging value without trusting the middleman. Again, that is the first goal of, of something like Bitcoin, right? So with Bitcoin, I can send you value without needing to go through an intermediary as a bank. With crypto exchanges or centralized exchanges, I can move between kind of like crypto to crypto, but I have to go through an intermediary. So it's like the exchanges are like the new in-quote banks. With a DEX, you've taken away 
the middleman because there is no middleman. You're trusting the protocol and code as opposed to an organization or, or an individual. So for a lot of people who are crypto fundamentalists and and kind of you know true to the founding ethos of, of decentralization and crypto, that is what gets them excited. For another group of people, it's it's just the the, the volatility. But again, I've always said it that 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 crypto it's like crypto volatility in my opinion is a is a feature, you know, not a bug. It's what gets people a lot of people get drawn into crypto because of the volatility and the hope that they can make huge gains. But then as they learn and they're like, wow, okay, this is quite interesting and they now stay for the long term. Yeah. So you talked a lot about this admittance that that the use cases are still kind of remain to be seen and you're taking this very experimental product-led approach to understanding your customers and what the use cases might be. I'd love just to get your perspective on like, what kind of future do you hope to build as it relates to crypto and, and payments globally? I know it's sort of abstract, but is there is there something like with intention that you you're hoping to get through through bundle and the work that you're doing in the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever? So I remember this stat that came out a few years ago. In Nigeria, only 95% of bank accounts have less than 500,000 naira in them. That's about less than $1,000, right? So there are about 41 million people in, in Nigeria, and only 5% of that have above $1,000. DSS Lab recently put out a great blog post that counted the number of people that can spend above $10 a day. And that was really interesting for me because it just shows the level of, of, of in my opinion, poverty in, 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 in Africa. But the world is becoming a global village. And what I mean by that is the internet has made it possible for people to work remotely. With Bundle, there are people that work at Bundle that are still not met today. And it's crazy that the internet allows us to coordinate and work together even if we're not next to each other. And why that is important is it now means that as opposed to us being a, a, a continent that exports raw goods and commodities, we now have our biggest capital is human capital and our human resource. And the beauty about human capital is that we, go, we have the same standard distribution as the rest of the world. So when you have a population of over a billion people, given the right opportunities and access to information, you have people that have tremendous earning potentials. And so something like Corona that forced the world to work remotely is probably going to be one of the biggest turning points that will make companies globally realize that actually, I don't need to hire this person in my hometown. I can hire someone globally in Africa and pay them what would be a, a massive step up in their earnings in the markets that they live in. So I think about this as, as, as export services. The big barrier for crypto was like, how do you send value to those people? And crypto solves that, right? Like if you sent me your crypto wallet address now, I can send you BUSD and you will get, you will get that equivalent in dollars in seconds. And you could go to Binance in South Africa and convert that to RAND. Or if you had a Binance card, you could spend that money immediately from your Binance card. So the way I think about it is that if we do the right things with crypto, 
it allows us the internet to solve kind of like accessibility of you know quality information crypto solves access to you know financial services and being able to move value cheaply regardless of your location and some of the broad you know longer term ideas is about building certifications on the blockchain that are verifiable based off the work someone has done so today if you get a new job or you want to apply for a new job is like send me your cv but imagine if let's say when you're working at let's say bundle every time you know i do like my peer-to-peer feedback and i give you that review and i give you a rating score that 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 feedback and that score gets kind of you know printed uh, or imputed on a blockchain that a future employer can access based off me giving them permission to view that and you can verify that oh yeah everybody must see with you know twitter profile linkedin and all this other stuff i have some kind of like you know score for you to now attest that they want to that you want they want to employ is actually a really good candidate so I think there is something there about like using these technologies to connect Africans, young Africans to global economic opportunities. And that is how we lift our continent out of poverty, right? It's not going to be because, oh, you know, we have agriculture or we have like factories. The, the, the mistake economics tend to make is that they compare, they look at what makes the particular economy move out of poverty and think that the next economy is going to use the same strategy, but it's never really the same thing. So right now, we are in the information age. We're also in a decentralized age where the internet kind of connects us together. And then you have means of attesting quality of skill, as well as ways to pay anyone globally. I believe that when crypto is successful, and we we hope we play a huge role in that, is the millions of 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 of, of users on, on on bundle in the future will be connected to a global marketplace and they will be earning wages that 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 they deserve not because they are in Africa but because they actually have the skills and the ability to provide world class work. So success to me is your geographical location should not determine your future economic prospects. And today, without crypto, that is the case. So that is what gets me excited. That's what makes me want to make crypto mainstream Africa, because I think that is how we lift millions, millions of people out of poverty. Thanks again to MFS Africa for their sponsorship of this series of episodes. Earlier in the show, we heard from Nala's Benjamin Fernandez on the opportunities in the international money transfer space. Africa is the most expensive continent to send money to. And we talked about why that is and why that's an opportunity for local in-market startups like Nala. According to the World Bank in 2018, about $48 billion was sent to sub-Saharan Africa. But what's crazy is from that $48 billion, 80% of those transactions still happen at physical stores. So even with the likes of TransferWise, WorldRemit, all these large global digital money transfer players, still 80% of them happen through physical stores. And because they're happening at physical stores, also the average cost is much higher. There's multiple things people have to account for. There's physical store, there's rent, there's having a human person there. And then for us, for example, there's KYC, there's a collections partner, there's a payout partner, there's anti-money laundering scanning that we have to do. And so across that, just to Africa, that's one, one of the reasons why it's super expensive. 
for us, because we have so much experience with mobile money and mobile payments here and from previous stuff we've built up historically in the region, we can do things for a lot less. You know, we can you know, help reduce that cost over time because of some of the things that we've done. Now, do you expect the TransferWise to build that local infrastructure in Africa? Maybe not today. Who knows? But that's the opportunity we see. There is still quite a bit that needs to get done. And especially if only 20% of that is digital today. And if you focus and do something really well, I think there's still a massive opportunity that's available. That's it for this week's episode of The Flip. Next week, we head to Francophone West Africa to talk local content and media. We'll see you then.